Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship and honor your name. You're truly a great and an awesome God. And Lord, your name alone should be lifted up. Lord, we ask as we go to your word that you would be our teacher this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We will be starting a new book this morning. We finished, we did Philemon last week. I encourage you to read 1 Samuel 19 for this coming Wednesday. We'll be going through that as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we just go right through the Bible. We started in Genesis 1 on Wednesdays. We started in Matthew chapter 1 on Sundays, uh, almost seven years ago, and we started here with a small Bible study. And so it's just been a blessing to go right through God's Word. Real quickly, before we get into the text, I do want to say a couple things. Uh, this last week, I had a blessing to go down to the Senior Pastors Conference, about a thousand pastors there from all over the world. Taught through the, they taught through the entire book of 1 Corinthians in three days. You've got to love it. 16 chapters. It was good stuff. It was a blessing. But be praying. We are continuing to move forward on the a Full Power FM radio station. So far, so good. We'll see what God has in store for us. But be praying because it will be, you know, it'll require both time and an investment if this is what God has for us. But we know where God guides, God provides. So we're trusting in the Lord. But how awesome would it be for 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week Christian radio station in Santa Cruz? How awesome would that be? So be praying, please. And then also uh, be praying about uh, an opportunity potentially for us to uh, adopt a guy who's being sent out of a Bible college in Africa to go plant a church in the Sudan. Uh, a real good friend of mine is running a Bible college and a church over there. He's asked me to pray about coming out and doing an inductive Bible study for the guys in the African uh, Bible college. But what I, when I said, what can we do for you? He mentioned that one of his young guys is going to be going to the Sudan to plant a church and maybe that we could adopt him. And what I mean by that is we just pray for him, maybe help him out financially. You know, it's just a way to, for us to, to reach the other side of the world. Amen? And so just be praying about those kinds of things. God's faithful. And if that's what the Lord wants us to do, we want to be obedient. All right, I'm going to take some time and give some background because this book that we'll be in for the next three or four months is actually, to, in my mind, the second most, uh, the book with the second most thorough amount of doctrine next only, next only to Romans. And so I think it's important as we're going to go through it and spend several months going through it, I want to take a good amount of time this morning and first just give you a background and then give you an overview of the entire book and then we will start on chapter 1, but we'll probably only look at a few verses this morning because the first few verses are some of the most powerful in all of the Bible. And so the background real quickly, this letter to the Hebrews And it's been said that this is a book written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. So really, that kind of sums it up. It is a book written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. This book is written to Jewish believers. And the Jewish believers were falling into a trap uh, because of persecution of wanting to go back to the old way of life. You know, wanting to go back to the old traditions of Judaism, to go back to the sacrificial system. And the Bible clearly tells us there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor, three, bar, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. So in God's eyes, there's only saved and unsaved, yet we can make the, fall into the trap of holding on to our earthly heritage and making it a prerequisite for our spiritual walk. 
And that's what's happening with these Jews. There were Judaizers and those in the Jewish faith who were attacking them for becoming Christians and were reminding them of how they used to worship God. And in their case, it was very unique because that was the way God had planned for all godly people to worship Him until Jesus came. But when Jesus came, everything changed. And so what happened was there was this luring away to go back to this old way of worshiping God, which wouldn't be worship at all. And so while our earthly heritage will indeed be irrelevant in heaven, it can still be a source of stumbling as long as we're here on earth. And it's exactly what we're going to see in the coming months as we look at the Jewish believers and the temptation to go back to the Jewish faith, to go back to the law, go back to the feast. Even now, people come and say to me, why don't we observe the Jewish feast? Hopefully, after we go through the book of Hebrews, you'll know the answer why. Because, guys, we don't need to observe them anymore. Jesus fulfilled them all. Now, I'm saying if you want to observe Passover and look and see Jesus in it, that's certainly fine. But we are no longer bound by feasts and rituals and those things anymore. Jesus died on the cross. It is finished. We live under the new covenant, the covenant of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So, these born-again Jews were being accused of abandoning their Jewish heritage and faith. There were people that were calling them to come back to that old lifestyle. And they were being drawn back to it. All its feasts, its traditions, its rituals, its sacrifices. And not only that, remember, they were studying the Old Testament. So everything that they did was actually in the Word of God. So for them, it would have been very easy to try to mix the two. Well, maybe we should observe the feast, and maybe we should go back to, you know, sacrificing the lambs. Maybe we should do those things, even though Jesus has already come. And you know what? That still happens today. I talk to Christians all the time that are still trying to become Jews first. Guys, there is no more Jew nor Greek in God's eyes. There's no more. We're Christians or we're unbelievers. We either know God or we don't. So the book is addressed specifically to these Jewish believers. And the, the writing, as we're going to see over these several chapters, is to talk mainly about the supremacy of Christ. You know, the only reason we try to grab onto other things is if we haven't grasped how great our Savior is all by Himself. Amen? Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We don't need to be grabbing on to a bunch of other things to add to the cross of Calvary. When we add to the cross... What we're really doing is denying the cross itself. So like so many today, we have not fully grasped the grace of God when we start to go back and be tempted by these works. And that still is happening in the world. Satan will often often use our past and old family bonds. You know, it's interesting. I was just watching a, a testimony of a young Mormon girl on GodTube. And she was saying how the hardest thing for her was the fact that she, once she realized Christianity was true, that meant her entire family was lost. And that her grandparents, who had already died, were in hell, separated from God. And she said she was tormented, trying to choose, well, if I give my life to Jesus and I believe this is true, then that means my whole family is wrong, and that means they're probably going to disown me, and it means parts of my family aren't going to want to have anything to do with me, and I'm going to, that means that, I'm going to be the odd one out, and, you know, I love my family, and, you know, the Lord said we need to love Him so much that we are willing to leave father and mother. That He comes before even our parents, before our children, before our families. Jesus Christ comes first. Now, that doesn't mean we don't love our families, because, of course, we do. But we must not love our families so much that we deny the Lord. We must not love our families so much. And here's what's happening. The same temptation that this 
young Mormon girl was sharing, and she did give her life to the Lord and pray for her and her family, but the Jews were having the same circumstances. You know, remember the traditions. Now, you've got to realize that the temple was still there. So what would happen is there would trumpets would blow because there were still those following the Jewish faith and they were still making sacrifices. And so they were still observing the feast. And can you imagine you're walking by the temple where you had been worshiping for 25 years or 30 years or 50 years, your entire life, and they're blowing the trumpets and you remember the tradition of going in and observing the feast and the sacrifices that were made and now you're not making them anymore. You've turned everything over to this new, quote, new Christian faith. It's not new. It's the fulfillment of the old covenant. What had happened was these people had missed out and they were still observing the sacrifices, having missed the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. And so what had happened was you can see, you can imagine how there must have been some, some heartache for these guys, some difficulty, lost friendships, lost family members, come back to the old way. You know, everything would be so much easier if you would just come back. Bro, just come on back. You know, don't you still believe in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Don't you still believe in the prophets of the Old Testament? And of course they do, and of course we do. But sadly, they were stopping with the prophets when they needed to move on to the Messiah. Because Jesus is greater than the prophets, and we're going to see that this morning. So easy for each of us to put our faith in a strong foundation of a family and, and, and secure feelings and childhood traditions, and that's exactly what was happening to these Jewish believers. This temptation existed each time they heard, each time it was time of Passover was approaching to want to maybe run back. But you know what? If they ran back, they would be running back to the shadow when the substance had already come. Guys, when you look at the Old Testament, you see Old Testament pictures of New Testament principles. And so these things are shadows of things to come, and it's a mistake to run to the shadow when we now have the substance, the one that the shadow was pointing to. We don't drag lambs in here on Sunday, and aren't you glad? Amen? <laughs> We're not slaughtering lambs, we're not observing feasts, we're not you know, pitching tents outside and having the feast of tabernacles. We're not doing those things. Why? Because Jesus came and fulfilled it all. And I'm so glad, I'm so blessed. I believe we're the most blessed of all people because we have the completed revelation in our hands and we're no longer under the Old Testament law. Now let me say that also. Because here's another struggle we're going to see as we go through Hebrews. A lot of Christians today are trying to add works to grace. And so what you have is a lot of Christians who are still all about the law. Yeah, well, we got to keep the law, don't we, Pastor Dave? I mean, shouldn't we still keep the Ten Commandments? Let me ask you a question. How many of you kept all ten of the commandments this month? Oh, aren't you glad you're not graded by the law? Amen. What the law does is it reveals your sin, but it cannot save you. The law reveals you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Praise God we're under grace and not the law. Amen? Now, should we walk in holiness and obedience before our God? Absolutely. But we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it's not rules pinned on a wall that will keep us from sin. It's walking in the power of the Spirit of the living God that will keep us from sin. Amen? And that can only happen in a spirit-filled, born-again believer's life. It cannot happen by trying really hard to keep a bunch of rules. 
So this is what's happening. This letter is being written. There's a temptation to go back to the old way of life. There are those who are trying to hold on to Christianity and Judaism all at the same time. And you just see that. You can imagine just the torment. And again, families being torn apart. And at the same time, persecution was happening. The world was persecuting Christians big time. So here they are. You know, I gave my life to Jesus. I lost some of my family. I, can't, I don't go to the temple anymore. And I, you know, I love the traditions that were there. And, and now I'm being persecuted by the world all at the same time. And it was a lot easier when I just went to temple with my family. Maybe I should go back to that. Now, I don't want to offend anybody. So if I offend you, it's not my heart. But I'm going to share this with you. I have a close friend of mine who fellowshiped here for a while, and he went back to his old church because he wanted to make sure he had time for both of his boys to be confirmed so then he could come back and fellowship here. And I said, bro, why do your kids need to be confirmed? It's so ingrained in you that this tradition must be upheld that we're adding to the gospel of Christ. You know what? We don't need to be confirmed. We need to be born again. We need to come to a a relationship with Almighty God. It's not keeping religious rituals. Now, I don't harp on Him. I just keep loving on Him and ministering to Him. But guys, we don't need to run back and fulfill a bunch of rules just in case they're right. Amen? Either we believe the Word of God or we don't. And so Jesus said, it's finished, and aren't you glad? And so this is the situation these Hebrews are in. It's only been about 30 years since Jesus ascended back into heaven. The time is, you know, it's only about, it's before the temple was destroyed, which was in 70 AD. So it's got to be more than likely in the 64 to 68 range AD. Again, and here they are, there's this temptation to go back to the old religion, the old rituals, the old traditions. And again, you got to understand something too, that if you were a Jew, you also dressed different. You dressed different, your diet was different. I'm talking radical transformation. You said, okay, I'm not, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat meat with cheese now. You know, Jews don't do that, right? I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to lose the little curlies on the side of my head. I'm going to get rid of the big black hat. I'm going to lose some of this stuff. And I'm just going to start serving the Lord. And I'm going to walk different and live different and hang out with different people. And, but boy, I still like, kind of like those people. Here's the, here's the key, guys. We don't go back to them. We need to bring them to where we are. Instead of going back and fulfilling those old traditions, why don't we introduce them to the true and living Savior, the God that we've come to know in a personal and intimate way? And this is really the focal point is this letter is being written to the Hebrews in the midst of all of this. And this is why I'm taking the time for you to understand it. Because as we start to dig in, you can start to picture, even modern day today, how people might be in that same situation. Maybe not with Judaism, but maybe with, you know, Catholicism. Or maybe with, and again, I want to say this. I believe within the Catholic Church there are people who are going to heaven. But I also want to say this. The Catholic Church adds to the gospel of Christ. It adds to the gospel. And so those things are unnecessary and thus wrong. People get mad when you say that. I'm not saying that to be offensive. I'm saying that because we don't need to add to the cross of Calvary. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. So these traditions of men, though never commanded by God, all these things were weighty upon them, had been around for years, observed for generations, and they didn't fully understand that Jesus is the one, that Jesus alone was enough. You mean Jesus replaced all the feasts? Yes. You mean he replaced all the sacrifices? Yes. You mean he replaced all the traditions that we made up and should have been doing anyway? Yes. 
that gone? Jesus said, yes. That's it. And it was too hard for them. But wait a minute, I'm so used to, you know, tying a rope around myself and only going a certain distance on the Sabbath. I'm so used to being under bondage of the law. I'm so used to wearing the robes and to praying the prayers and doing the... Th- you, you mean I can just have a relationship? I can pray any... Yes, you can. I don't have to pray the... set. No, you don't. I don't have to take the lambs in there. No. Uh, but this seems too simple. You know what? Salvation is not difficult to understand. Aren't you glad? It's a free gift. It's so easy. He reaches out to everyone and wants to have a relationship with you. And it's not bound up in keeping 500 rules. It's simply saying yes to his work of redemption upon the cross of Calvary and inviting his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. So in his coming, he fulfilled the law. You mean even the law? Yes, the law. He fulfilled the law. Now, as we continue through this, some of you are going to be able to relate. Maybe you have come out of a, a faith that was very legalistic. And you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And you got family members that think you've abandoned God. You just walked away from God. You need to come back to the Catholic Church, the Mormon Church, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the, whatever. You need to come back. And I want to make it very clear. I'm not making the Catholics equal to the Mormons, okay? Because there are people in the Catholic Church who are saved. There's not one person in the Mormon Church who's saved. Oh, Pastor Dave, that's rough. You know what, guys? They don't serve the Jesus of the Bible. Amen? It's all works-based salvation, and you can't be good enough. You already told me you didn't keep the Ten Commandments in the last month, so you need Jesus. We all do. Amen? So, inheritances have been lost. Friendships have been broken. There's a calling to go back to the old way of life. That trumpet is sounding. The Passover is coming. The Feast of the Tabernacles. All of these things are happening around them. The temptation is to go back. And here comes this letter. And this letter is going to exhort them in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's going to remind them, we don't need those things anymore. We've got Jesus. And that's really what this letter is all about. It's all about making the focus Jesus. Now, the word that is used often in this text is better. Twelve times in this book, in this letter, we're going to see the word better. You know why? Because Jesus is better. He's better. Amen? And as we go through the text, we're going to see he's better than a lot of things. And better isn't good enough of a word as far as I'm concerned. Because he's best. Amen? But he is better. He's better than those old ways. You know what, as we go through the text, we're going to see he's better than the temple sacrifices. He's be- be got- Why is he better than the temple sacrifice? Because every time they made a sacrifice, they had to go back the next day. Day of Atonement, every single year. Got to go back. We'll talk about that more, even today. So when Jesus paid the price, done. Amen? Amen. It is finished. No going back the next day. No going back the next year. I find it interesting that the high priest, when he went in on the Day of Atonement, never sat down. But Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Because the high priest is still working, but the great high priest, the work is finished. Amen? So he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's, it's better. Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. The ones that, all the prophets were pointing to Jesus. None of the prophets would argue this point, by the way. Daniel wouldn't say, no, I'm better than Jesus. And he would never say that. But yet, we see, we're going to see this, that there are those who are drawn back to the prophets. You know, like people today who are praying to the saints. You know who saints are? You and me. Don't pray to me, it won't work out well for you, okay? 
And if you're praying to people who died, they're not hearing you. Amen? They're in heaven. They, they're not paying attention to you right now. They're the, when I'm hanging out with Jesus, I won't be thinking about you. I'm just telling you straight up. I'll see you when you get there. Amen? Be waiting for you. It'd be good to see you again. But right now, focus on him. And so, we, and it's just so sad that you see these man-made traditions and rituals instead of just abiding by the word of God. This book written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. You're Christians now. You know what? Jesus is better than the angels. The angels worship Jesus. He doesn't worship them. Amen? Yet people pray to angels. People worship angels today. There's books about angels. People talk about their angel. I don't want to, I got Jesus. I don't need an angel. No, there can be, God may have an angel watching over you, but you know, we don't worship them. And when we get to heaven, the Bible says we're going to be greater than the angels. Did you know that? So that is amazing because we don't deserve anything. But here's the point. The point is he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. Oh, the Jews, what are you, Moses, what are you talking about? Moses, he's our, Moses, that's our guy. He delivered us out of bondage. Who's that a picture of? Moses is a picture of Jesus, but he's not Jesus or even close. Amen? Amen. Moses was a sinner. He didn't even get to go in the land of promise because he lost his temper and smote the rock when he's supposed to speak to it. Amen? He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron, the priest. Because why? His priesthood is everlasting. Aaron's priesthood was passed on and messed up and blown. And that guy's drinking and partying and Aaron himself messed up. Aaron, the priest. Moses goes up on the mountain to hear from God, and he's gone 40 days, not 40 years, 40 days. And Moses and Aaron says, well, let's get all our gold and throw it in. And the worst excuse, the stupidest statement in the history of the Bible, Aaron says when Moses comes back and sees this orgy going on and them worshiping this golden calf, he, he comes down and Aaron says, yeah, we threw the gold in this calf just popped out of there. <laughs> you're not only a pagan idolater, you're a liar, Aaron. Jesus, way better than Aaron. Amen? Way better. Better than the law. The law can only reveal your sin. Jesus came to redeem us from it. Amen? I could go on and on and on. You're thinking I probably will. But Jesus is better. Don't run from him. Run to him. Amen? We don't want to run from the Lord. Run to the Lord. Don't run back to the law. Don't heap rules and regulations and rituals and traditions. Let's have a relationship with Almighty God. And let's not put anything between us and him. You know what I want more than anything? Intimacy with the Lord. Intimacy with the Lord. How do you have it? Spend time in his presence. That's how you have it. You're his bride. Spend time with him. So don't let religion, rituals, or man-made traditions keep you from the Lord. Security in anything other than Christ can and will be easily lost. You know what's interesting? The Jews were drawing him back because they're going, dude, you're going to miss the, the temple, man. You don't even go to the temple anymore. What's up with that? Well, guess what? In a couple of years, no temple. The Romans are going to come in and level that thing. And I believe, of course, this is an act of God to get their eyes and to realize the temple is not the answer anymore. He's the temple who was raised up after three days. He is the one we worship. And you know what? The Jews are still trying to rebuild the temple. And we know that'll happen during the days of the Antichrist. So while Romans reveals the necessity of Christian faith, Hebrews reveals the superiority of Christian faith. The only place you're going to be secure is in Jesus. Nothing else, no one else. I think it's already up there, but overview. 
So it was written in about 64 to 68 AD, about 30 years after Jesus ascended, before the temple was destroyed. Key word, I already told you, better. We're going to see that 13 times in the text. The theme is the superiority of Christ. So if you're a note taker here, I outlined the whole book for you. And here's how it looks. The, from chapter 1 to chapter 4, verse 13, it speaks about the superiority of Jesus Christ, the person. The superiority of Jesus Christ, the person. I also subtitled it, The Majesty of Christ. Number two, the superiority of Christ's work. So from his person to his work, from the majesty of Christ to the ministry of Christ. And then third, applying to us, the superiority of the Christian walk. So we go from the majesty of Christ to the ministry of Christ to ministers for Christ, and that's you and me. In chapters 1 through 10, it's doctrine. Doctrine is just a big word for biblical truth. And then we get to chapter 10, verse 19 and on. It speaks about discipline, living a godly life. I don't have time to go into it, but I will say the key verses in the text, chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Where are you going? Okay. And it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the, to help in the time of need. This is so contrary to Judaism. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because the great high priest has paid the price. Veil's been torn. We can all enter in. We don't have to wait for the, the high priest to do it. In this book, people have said that Hebrews is the, the Old Testament in the New Testament. And it really is in a lot of ways that are 82 Old Testament references in this letter. So, let me say this too. There's a contrast between the sacrifices that we'll see. The sacrifices under the law and the sacrifices of Christ. And as I said before, Jesus is better. He is a better sacrifice, a better prophet, a better high priest, a better king. And not just better, but he is indeed the best. Where else would we go? Can you imagine life without Jesus? It would be a disaster. Amen? First of all, none of us would even be talking to each other. Isn't that true? When you got Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Amen? Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. And I love you guys, and we're family. He alone is God. He alone is creator. He alone paid the price to redeem us. He alone is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he alone is coming back. Next time someone tries to tell you, he's just one of the prophets. As we're going to talk about this morning, Jesus is not just one of anything. He's the best. He's God. Made manifest in the flesh. Amen? And anytime somebody, this is what the cults do. They make Jesus less and man more. Every one of them. They make Jesus less than he is and man more than he is. Well, you're going to be God of your own planet one day. And Jesus used to be a man just like you. And now, because he was a good man, he got to be the God of this planet. That's Mormon doctrine. I didn't make that up. I know it sounds funky, but because it is. But here's the point. The point is that we need to be surrendered to the Lord and realize that he alone is the answer. So, we're finally at the text. Jesus I titled the message, Jesus is greater than you think. Amen? Because no matter how great you think he is, he's greater than that. 
Amen? You might say, well, I know he's really great. Yeah, he is. And you're right, and he's greater still. You're not gonna, and I think, you know what? Same goes for heaven. Heaven's going to be way better than you think. No matter what you think heaven's going to be like, you're going to get there and be blown away. So you say, well, I've really set my expectations really, really high. You're still going to be blown away. Because we can't fathom how great it's going to be. We can't fathom what it's going to be like to be in the presence of Almighty God. So, two points this morning. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the prophets. And second, we're going to look at a sevenfold description of our glorious Savior. And we'll see them as we go through just three verses this morning because there's so much in these verses. It's one long sentence. And then we're going to see these seven descriptions. We're going to first see that Jesus is indeed greater than the prophets. So let's begin in verse 1 of Hebrews 1. I can think of no better way to start a letter than this. Look at the first word. What is it? God. That's great. That's a good letter. God. Amen. You can stop right there. That's a good letter right there. I mean, you just stop with that. God. Amen. You know what? This is the most accurate of all the epistles because remember that the epistles have a way of of opening these letters. And they always start off with who wrote the letter first, right? Paul, an apostle, and they talk about themselves because remember, they're not going to unroll the scroll. They didn't have books like us. They're not going to unroll the scroll to find out who wrote it. So it's always going to be at the top. And this letter, as we'll talk about, is anonymous in a sense. I believe the apostle Paul wrote it, but there's evidence for Barnabas and Luke and others, and we don't know for sure. But here's what we do know. God wrote it. And so here's the author of the letter in the first word, God. So God wrote the letter, just like he wrote every letter in the book. Amen? Amen. And I love the fact that God is the author. He's the author of every book, every chapter, every verse, every word, every letter in the Bible. If you like stuff like this, there's 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,101 verses, 783,187 words, 3,566,480 letters, and he put them all in there. Amen? And so we don't take from the Bible or add to the Bible because all of it was put there by God. There's also 1,260 promises, 6,468 commands, 3,268 verses of fulfilled prophecy, and God is the author of every single book, bit of it. That book in your hand, God wrote. That's a love letter from Almighty God in your hand. And we need to treat it as such. Amen? You know, if a meteor came out of the sky and landed in your backyard and dug a 12-foot hole in your backyard, and on top of it, as it cooled down, there was this, there's this metal plate there, and it said, a letter from God, and had your name on it. How quickly would you open that thing up? You'd be out there with oven mitts, wouldn't you? <laughs> Get that thing open. And you wouldn't, like, read part of it. You'd sit down and read the whole thing. You'd, make, you'd photocopy it. You'd give it to your friend. You would do, right? And yet we have the Word of God. A letter just like that in our hands, and we're looking for it on Sunday morning at 9.55. Where's my Bible? I hope that's not happening. I haven't seen it since last Sunday. When I was a youth pastor, kids would leave their Bibles at church. I used to hide them and see how long it would take them to figure out they'd lost it. I don't do that to you, I promise. So God, in this letter, it's the first word in this letter, and it's also in her 68 times. God is mentioned in this letter 68 times. One of the most prolific in all of Scripture. So it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. 
God did speak in the past. In Psalm 19, it says that the heavens declare His glory. You know, God has spoken to everyone. People often want to say, well, what about the people who've never heard? Everyone has heard. It's just how much have they heard. Amen? The Bible says the heavens declare His glory. Do you know that Enoch walked with God and there was no Bible? Did you know that? No Bible, no temple, no law, no nothing. Enoch walked with God. You, can, you know what? So God is a faithful God who's not hiding. He's a loving and a merciful God. And so we see here that he at various times in various ways spoke in times past. In Romans 1, it makes it clear that not only in creation has he spoken to man, but he's given us a conscience. My definition of the conscience, your pastor's opinion, I believe the conscience in every man is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit outside of us, convicting us that, that things are wrong. And the conviction that comes is proof yet again that God is speaking to all of mankind. He speaks to us in creation, and He's speaking to us and giving us a conscience to delineate right from wrong, to help us realize we are sinners in need of a Savior. And as we're about to see, He also placed prophets among them. Now look what it says. At various times, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now, the fathers was a reference to the Jews' ancestors. That's what they called their ancestors, the fathers. So God had spoken in times past. First of all, God spoke to them differently, and then God spoke through them differently. And, I, and God did this for a reason, by the way. Have you ever thought about that? He spoke to Moses in a burning bush. He spoke to Elijah with a still small voice. He spoke to Isaiah with a heavenly vision. He spoke to Hosea with a family crisis. And he spoke to Amos using a basket of fruit. Why does he speak in different ways? Because if he used a burning bush all the time, we'd have people sitting in their backyard lighting bushes on fire. Isn't that true? Come on, God, speak, speak, speak. That's what would be happening. And you know what? Even the miracles. You ever notice he very rarely does a miracle the same way twice? He'll heal a blind guy by telling one guy to put mud in his eye, another guy to go bathe, another guy to go do this. Why? So that we will not get our eyes on the method, but on the Messiah, on the one who brought about the miracle. And so he had spoken to the fathers, but he had also spoken through the fathers. He spoke to these, through these prophets in various ways. How? Through parables, through prophetic confrontation. You know, some of these Old Testament guys would get in someone's face. Read the Old Testament sometime. These guys were pretty bold. You know, Elijah goes in and just kicks all the idols down. You got, I want to hang out with that guy a little while. You know what I mean? He goes in in front of Ahab and Jezebel and says, you know what? Here's what I think you're right. And he just starts kicking them down. You know what? And by the way, it's not going to rain until you guys get right. It's just not going to rain. How about that? And he walks out. And you know what? It didn't rain. God spoke in different ways to these guys. And again, it needs to be the Holy Spirit leading us because if he went in there without the Holy Spirit, he might have got a spear thrown through him or something, right? He spoke through Proverbs and Psalms and through dramatic presentations. Again, maybe with Elijah bringing fire down from the sky. But he spoke in different ways through these prophets to the Jews, the Christians, who would, you know, they weren't yet Christians. They were Jews then because Christ did not come. But they were waiting for the Messiah. And he had spoke through them in different ways in times past. And so he's reminding them. Now, remember that a prophet is simply one who speaks for God. It's more often foretelling than foretelling. A lot of times you think of a prophet as somebody who tells you the future before it happens. Somebody who dreamed a dream and came and told you. And have, now, that can happen. But more times than not, it's foretelling. 
what I'm doing right now, just proclaiming the truth of God's word. When you open up your Bible and you proclaim it with great boldness and sincerity of heart, that's prophetic. And that's what he's speaking about. These were prophets who spoke, and they spoke forth for God to the fathers who had come before them. Some of the Old Testament prophets, you you probably know who they all are, but people like Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Right, there's there's the prophets. And these guys were all prophets that God spoke through to the children of Israel. So the writer of, of Hebrews, he's verifying the authenticity of the Old Testament scripture. He says, you know that Old Testament you have in your hand? That's legit. You can read the Old Testament and you can trust it. You can believe it. But understand, as we go through Hebrews, he's going to remind them that all those things are pointing to Jesus. As soon as we stop, guys, if you stop at Malachi, you got problems. If you don't get into the New Testament, you've missed it. And you're just sadly like the, the Jewish people today that are still in rebellion against God. We need to pray for them. God's not done with them. He's going to do great things with them. So while each one of these ways is enough to bring about divine judgment. Creation around us, conviction within us, prophets in our midst, His Word in our hands, yet the message was still not complete. Think about that. At one point, before Jesus came, they had creation around them, conviction within them, prophets in their midst, and the Word of God available to them, the Old Testament. But it wasn't done. Something, someone, was still coming. And he would be the one who would be the fulfillment of everything else. The message was still incomplete. While the prophets were vessels God spoke through at times, he would send one whose every word, every action, even his personality, was a revelation of God the Father. Everything he did was prophetic. Everything. Every word. Everything he did. Everything he said. Everything. Prophets would have prophetic moments, but Jesus was a prophet always. Look at verse 2 has in the last days spoken to us by His Son. So, previously, now remember who He's writing to. The Jews are being tempted to go back to the old way of life. Go back to the rules. Go back to the rituals. Go back to the religion. And He says in the last days, He's spoken to us through His Son. Now notice what it says. This is a key if you underline your Bible. Notice when the last days started. People say, oh, how do we know we're in the last days? Because the Bible says so. And when did they start? When Jesus came. So we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Yes, we have. Boy, that's a long time. Well, not really, because God said a day is to 1,000 years is 1,000 years is to a day. So we've been in the last days for two days. Right? It's been two days. Couldn't be the last days unless it was at least two days, right? So we've been living in the last days. Here's the good news. We're 2,000 years closer to Christ's return. Amen? And we need to be living every day in light of it. So he left heaven, he came to earth, and the Messiah age began. Now, Jesus said, you have seen me, you've seen the Father. People say, I want to know what the Father looks like. Jesus said, look at me. Look at me, you've seen him. The prophets could never say that. Prophets couldn't say, look at me and you've seen God the Father. They could if they wanted to be struck down dead, right? So they didn't say that. This proves yet again, Jesus better than the prophets. Amen? 
Because he's not just a prophet, he is God made manifest in the flesh. The greatest revelation of God to sinful man, Jesus coming to earth. So creation above, conviction around, prophets among, word given to us. But you know what? Not enough. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of creation. You know what? When When we know Jesus, we understand creation. When we know Jesus, we understand the word for the first time. We get it. We read the Old Testament, you start to see Jesus on every page. Amen? You see Jesus in every sacrifice, in every feast. He's in all of it because it was all pointing to Him. Clarity was brought to who God was through the love and the character and the holiness and the grace of our Savior coming to earth. Then it says, spoken to us by His Son. It isn't so much that Jesus brought a message from the Father. Jesus is the message from the Father. Amen? He didn't, you know, God the Father didn't say, go down there and give him this message. He said, go down there, you are the message. People look at you, you are the message. You are what people are looking for. You are the answer to the world's problems. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Every word, every action, a reflection of the Father. You know, guys, if you can't learn about God from the Son, you can't can't learn about God. You just can't. No number of prophets, no number of books, no number of codes is ever going to help you figure it out. Jesus Christ is sufficient. All you have to do is look at Him and you can know the Father and know all about Him. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's greater than the law and the prophets. I want to point this out to you really quickly on the Mount of Transfiguration. You guys remember that? Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration and takes Peter, James, and John with Him. If you remember the story, He reveals His glory the glory that was already in him, and he just reveals his glory. And when he does, Moses and Elijah show up. Moses in Scripture is a type or a picture of the law, and Elijah is a picture of the prophets. So here's Jesus with the law and the prophets, and then Peter says, let's make three tabernacles. You know, let's make all of you equal, and let's just stay up here on the mountain forever. And you know, this is such a lame statement that God Almighty interrupted Peter. (laughs) Read the text. God goes, shut up. I mean, this is paraphrase. Peter, shut it. I mean, right? What are you thinking? You're trying to put my son equal with the law and the prophets? No, absolutely not. See, we see it all over Scripture. And when we make the mistake of trying to make the law equal with Christ or the prophets equal with Christ, we've missed it. He alone is God. He alone can save. He alone reveals the heart of the Father. Let's stay here and make three tabernacles. The first credential we see for our Savior that He is indeed the Son of God. The one and only Son of God. Nobody else is the Son of God, amen? Nobody else is God made manifest in the flesh. Nobody else. There's a guy right now in Florida saying that he is Jesus came back to earth. He has a church. Thousands of people come to it. When he comes out, they call him Messiah and Master. It's tragic. It is absolutely tragic. You know why people do that? Biblically illiterate. Why do we spend so much time in God's Word? So that you will know the truth and then be able to recognize the lie. Amen? If we don't spend time in the truth, you can fall for anything. But if you know the Word of God, you'll be able to walk in the fullness of it. So we've seen that Jesus is greater than the prophets, and now the last verse and a half, the sevenfold description of our glorious Savior. Look at the second half of verse 2. It says, Whom He has appointed, heir 
of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. He's going to inherit all things. Why? Because that's what happens. The father gives everything to his son. Amen? So no one else is getting it. He alone is the heir. Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the heir of all things. As we're going to see as we move on, all things were made by him and for him. So number one, we see of the sevenfold description of our Savior, He is the heir of all things. In the end, He gets it all. Amen? And we're going to talk about what it is He's going to inherit. Then it says, He made the worlds, or He's the creator of all things. He made the universe, He made all of creation. Nothing was made apart from Him. And as the creator of all things, what in the world would He want to inherit? Think about that. Have you ever thought about that? He creates anything He wants. He thinks and things happen. He speaks and the world's come into existence. And he can have anything he wants. What in the world could he possibly treasure? What could he treasure? You know what he treasures? You. In Matthew 13, Jesus relates a parable about a man who walked through a field, found a treasure, and bought the field in order to take the treasure. Jesus came and suffered and died to purchase back this world so that he could have you. What a great God, amen? He came because you are his treasured possession. We are his inheritance. So he's the heir of all things, and he is the creator of all things. Verse 3, number 3, says there, Who being the brightness of his glory. The word brightness there in Hebrew means reflected brightness. Jesus perfectly reflects the majesty of God. He radiates and shines the glory of God of God. He is all the light that we are ever going to need. You know, when we get to heaven, there's going to be no S-U-N because we're going to have the S-O-N. Amen? We won't need it. He's going to radiate it. You know what though, guys? Here's an encouragement for us. While we cannot radiate the light the same way Jesus does, we can reflect it. Amen? Be the moon. You know, the moon doesn't have a light source. You know what the moon does? It reflects the light source. It's a reflection of the sun beating upon it. And just like the moon reflects the S-U-N, you and I ought to reflect the S-O-N. People ought to see us shining brightly because Jesus has been impacting our lives. Jesus is all the light we will ever need. So number three, He is the brightness of the glory of God. So we see that He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of all things. He reflects Almighty God. Then it says, He's the express image of his son in hebrew again this simply means this was a term they used when they made coins in biblical times and so all the coins were stamped the exact same way they looked exactly the same you couldn't tell them apart you know what jesus was the exact image of the father so if you've seen him you've seen the father You see his heart, his personality, his love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his burden for the lost. He's a picture of the Father. He and the Father are one. He is the express image of the Father. You know, I pray that we as Christians would live in such a way that when people would see us, they would see Jesus. That's tough, isn't it? But you know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? We absolutely can. He's the exact expression of of the Father. Again, Philip came and said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. Now, the prophets were mighty men, but you know what? They were not made in the express image of God. Muhammad 
was not made in the express image of God. Amen? He did not create all things. He's not over all things. He wasn't before all things. He's not going to inherit all things. He's a sinner in need of a Savior. So too are all the other false religious uh, leaders or messiahs, if you will. And again, people say, every time I talk about this, they say, well, Pastor Dave, that's just being kind of harsh. No. You know what it's being? It's being loving. Because if we don't point out the error, you know, again, I had someone say this to me just a few days ago. Well, let me just believe what I want to believe. If you really love me, you'll leave me alone. And I said, bro, if I really love you, that would be the last thing I should do. If your kid's going to step off a hundred-story building because he doesn't believe in gravity and believes he can fly, is it loving to let him jump? That's the most unloving thing you can do. The loving thing to do is to grab him by the scruff of the neck and drag him to the elevator. Amen? And the same is true when someone is buying a lie and believing a lie. It's not loving to leave them alone. It's loving to reach out to them in love with the truth. Amen? And we need to be more bold. Guys, we're not going to get to heaven and wish we had dialed it down a notch. Amen? Man, I shouldn't have been so outspoken about my faith. I should have... You know, spend more time playing video games or something. You know, we were not going to do that. Should have played more golf. You know what we're going to do? Man, if I had a clue heaven was going to be this awesome, I would have spoken up more. Amen? You know, Lord, light that fire in us now. This is the letter to the Hebrews. He's encouraging them. Don't go back to the old way. Understand who you are in Christ. Your new creations in Him. It also says, number four, the fifth thing. Not only is he expressed image of his person, he upholds all things by the word of his power. You know what this means? Jesus is the sustainer of all life. Did you know that? Every atom is held in place by Jesus Christ. Every atom. So that means the, the, you know, the atoms in the body of Muhammad are held together by Jesus. That's right. Amen? All the false prophets, all the false teachers, who holds it all? Jesus. If he let go for a nanosecond, game over. Whole universe would crash. This is the God we serve. He holds all things in His hand. He is the giver of life, the creator of life, and the sustainer of life. That's the God we serve, guys. And we should not be, oh, well, yeah, He's just one of many gods. No, He's not. He's the only God. Amen? Amen. I just saw a thing, Oprah, talking about, oh, there's many paths to God. Oprah needs Jesus. Pray for her. Amen? Amen? There are not many paths. There's one path, and his name is Jesus Christ. He holds everything in his hands. We're almost done. By the way, if you want your life held together, your marriage held together, your relationships with your kids, your job, everything, you know what you need to have hold it together? The Lord. Amen? He holds, he holds the universe together. He can hold your marriage together. Amen? Turn to Jesus before you turn anywhere else if you're having struggles for the cares of this life. The thing that will keep your world from falling apart is the same one who keeps the world from falling apart, and his name is Jesus. Last two points. It says there, when he had by himself purged our sins. The word I want you to see there is purged. It means in Hebrew, cleansing or washing. He washed away all of our guilt. And notice it says he did it by himself. You know what that means? You had nothing to do with it. Amen? Well, me and Jesus got this partnership going, and no. He did it, he reached out, and you took the free gift. Amen? That's why works have nothing to do with it. Because if we had to work for it, it wouldn't be a free gift, it would be a paycheck. Amen? 
It is a free gift of salvation. It's offered by grace to every one of us. And so praise God for His grace. And praise God. He paid the price by Himself. And nobody else did. He's the only one. Well, Pastor Dave, aren't there many? No. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Amen? In the Old Testament, when they made a sacrifice, the sin was not forgiven. It was pushed forward to the coming Messiah. And it wasn't until Jesus came that it was all paid for. So He alone paid for all the sins going back to Adam and going forward to the last person who will live on this planet. He purged us from all of our sin and He did it by Himself. And like I said, look what it says, last thing. And He sat down at the right hand of the man, of, of the majesty on high. So the last thing Jesus did is he was seated at the right hand of the Father. He is first of all seated there by himself. Amen? Amen. Muhammad is not sitting next to him. Buddha is not sitting next to him. Joseph Smith is not sitting next to him. Charles Taze Russell, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mary Baker Eddy of Christian Science. None of them are sitting, L. Ron Hubbard, they're not sitting next to Jesus. Amen? Amen? He's the only one who's there. He's the only one who can intercede with you. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you right now? Does that blow you away or what? Next time you're tempted and Satan is trying to draw you away, remember that Almighty God, creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, is interceding on your behalf. Turn to Him instead of to the enemy. Amen? He's going to make the way of escape. Be obedient to the Lord. And notice again, I've said it before, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know why he's seated? The high priest never sat down because his work was never done. Jesus is seated because it is finished. And aren't you glad? Amen? It is finished. The sacrificial system the Jews were wanting to go back to was never finished. But what Jesus has done is finished. So, what a world of difference between Jesus and the prophets. Amen? What a world of difference between Jesus and the law and the feasts and everything else. They're all wonderful things that pointed to Jesus. And praise God for every one of them. Praise God for the prophets who wrote things down. Praise God for the Old Testament. Praise God for the feasts that all point to Jesus Christ. But if there were no Jesus Christ, they'd be meaningless. He's the fulfillment of it all. So, what's the difference between Jesus and the prophets? Well, He's the Creator. He created all things. He will inherit all things. He is a reflection of God's glory. He is the express image of His person, Almighty God. He holds all things together. The whole world, every atom is in His hands. He has cleansed us from His sin all by Himself, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father because His work is finished, and He's interceding on your behalf. When people try to say that Jesus was just a prophet May you remember the list I just gave you. He's far more. Amen? Amen? And you know what? Jesus couldn't be a prophet. Because Jesus said he was God. And a prophet cannot lie. So if he says he's God, one of two things is true. He's God or he's a liar. Right. Amen? Amen? So he can't just be a good man and he can't just be a prophet. That won't work. He's either God or he's one of the worst people who ever lived who was just fooling people. And we know who he was and who he is. He's God. Amen? And you know what, my prayer, anybody here today, I pray you don't walk out of here trying to find another path, another way, another truth, another hope, another life. There is no other. And he brought you here this morning because he loves you. 
And you don't have to leave here without him. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord, that we serve a risen and living Savior. We thank you, Lord. We don't deserve it, but that you purged us. You, you paid for our sin. All of it. It is finished. And now you're seated at the, your son is seated at your right hand praying for us. You can't even imagine. And Lord, I pray you would help us to walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. To be those who would not be intrigued by going back to the old way of life, the old traditions of men, to add to the gospel of Christ. But Lord, to be steadfast in walking with you, to seek first your kingdom. Lord, give us greater boldness. Put an urgency in our hearts for the lost. May we have greater intimacy with you. Lord, I pray that Christianity wouldn't be something we do for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. Lord, I pray you would be the priority of our lives and it would be reflected in everything we do. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that the veil has been torn, that we can pray anywhere and anytime and you hear us. We thank you that you're here in our midst, even right now. We welcome you here. We praise and lift up and honor your name. You are a great and an awesome God, and we can't wait to see you face to face. But until then, Lord, I pray we'd be busy about your work. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship.